Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside, just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three-eighths, an inch and five-eighths, an inch and three-quarters, and then also our four-pin housing, which is an inch and three-quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single-pin and four-pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. folks thank you for tuning into another episode of bucks of america podcast i'm your co-host jeff vance tonight is our first live episode of appalachian chase uh tech talk with l with That was weird because it's like I'm hearing the reverb in my ear here. It's like I, I hit mute, so this way I don't have to worry about that anymore. So tonight we I have uh, Justin Kilborn, I have Corey Smith, and Mike Russell. All three, all three of them are from Appalachian Chase here. Now everybody here has already had a chance to know who Mike is. I want to give this a brief moment here to introduce Justin and Corey. So Corey, why don't you tell us how you guys became Appalachian Chase? What's your involvement? And tell us where you're from. Uh, I'm from uh, Southeast Minnesota, kind of by uh, Rochester. And to be honest, the whole way I joined Appalachian is Mike just sent me an Instagram message. And after talking with him for a little bit, I was like, these guys are some big buck killers. And I was like, I'm going to join up and hopefully learn something, really. That's kind of awesome. how I got on the team. Sweet. How about you, Justin? Uh, me and Mike are from the same hometown, so uh, we kind of knew each other. And uh, he asked me if uh, I wanted to be on the team. I said, yeah, for sure. I mean, we help each other with deer, so why not, you know? So do you know TJ as well? Like, did you guys all grow up together type uh, uh, relationship? Nah, nah. I didn't really know TJ until I met Mike. <laughs> then, all right. I, then I uh, found out about TJ. <laughs> <laughs> as as mike's giving us the thumbs down here so Corey, i'm actually from stewartville so i'm from your neck of the woods oh really that's cool yeah so do you hunt in like chatfield rushford um i actually hunt by uh the closest town my hometown spring valley my pup uh where i grew up hunting my parents own like a 200 acre dairy farm okay kind of out that out that way so that's where i usually hunt and i got other properties now too but that's where my roots started. Very cool. I used to hunt over there by Chatfield, just uh, west of there. Uh, Steve Greeley. I don't know if you know that farmer. He's got, I don't know, over a thousand acres. No, but anywhere is by Chatfield, I know is usually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one, that's one of them hot spots. You know, all in that area, all in this, uh, section four, uh, 30 or 343 is a pretty nice area. That's where I shot him at up there over just uh, was it uh, be east of the, the airport? Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, they actually changed. They actually changed that. We're all one giant CWD zone now, which kind of sucks. But yeah, I've seen that too yeah. as well. And, and it's didn't know. Did they bring back the uh, like one buck per season? I know last year they did uh, that, where you can get one from uh, white for you. You can shoot one archery, one shotgun season, and one muzzleloader. Yeah. 
which really isn't, I mean, that's cool and all, but I don't really agree with that because around here there's not, I don't have three bucks I would shoot, I guess, but is what it is. Definitely. All right, then. Well, thank you guys for introducing each other for the, uh, the about each other's for the podcast here. So uh, why don't we get off to um, our first couple of questions here when we, when we had uh, talked about earlier. And I think, Mike, why don't you kick it off with discussing uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're choosing, chasing big bucks out there in Ohio? Um. <clears throat> I'd say the number one mistake that people make uh, here at a lot is human intrusion. Somebody gets a good deer on camera and they think they got to be in there, you know, 24 seven every day. Um, obviously a lot of people run the cell cams now, but uh, you get people in there that were want to go in there and check the camera every day, see if this deer has been in there. And, uh, I think human intrusion is, is, is huge. Ohio is a baiting state. So um, a big thing that people do around here is they'll pour out a, bio, a pile of corn stick a camera on it. Like I said, they think they got to go in there and check the camera every day. And uh, that's the number one thing to, that's the number one way in my opinion to, to run a big deer out is uh, a lot of people think that they're going in and maybe they're not bumping deer out or um, that they're going in and just because they're not seeing deer or seeing, you know, thinking that they're bumping deer out, 90% of the deer that you bump out, you don't know that you bumped up. So, um, I think the number one mistake that people make around here is uh, human intrusion. Get get a good deer on camera. They think they got to be in there all the time. And really, at the end of the day, that deer knows what's going on within a couple of times of them doing that, and they're gone and off to the next property. So human intrusion would be would be my answer. Definitely. Justin, do you have anything to add to, to that since you guys hunt relatively the same area? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it is with human intrusion, but I, I've noticed with these big deer, like they're growing up on corn piles and they know what they are. They know that there's going to be someone in the tree there. So they're kind of getting used to them around here. I mean, everyone's got a corn pile and I, I have a corn pile. Mike has a corn pile, but you have to around here to keep deer on your property. It seems like, cause everyone's doing it. So that's kind of what I've seen from it. I mean, I, I wish we'd get rid of corn piles around here, but once you start something like this, I guess you can't really stop it, you know? That's a so. good That's a good point, though. I, Mike and I brought this up on ours. It's like once you start chipping away, like your hunting rights, they're going to continue chipping and chipping and chipping away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey and I can relate to that when it comes down to Minnesota. They've chipped away a lot of, a lot of different topics. Yeah, we can't even uh, have mineral or nothing since it's CWD. You can't use mineral, bait. Can't even use uh, scent, like attractant, sense attractants or whatever. Like none of that. I don't even think you're legally allowed to use like you have to use artificial, like tarsal glands, all that kind of stuff. You know, if you want to have mock scrapes. Really? Anymore. They went that far. I I I think I'd have to. Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure I've heard that. I never. I run that wall since we can't have corn piles or minerals. I always do a lot of mock scrapes, so. That's my way of making up for that. But mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And the funny thing is, too, it's like uh, Mike's wearing Cook's Attractant. He's based out of northern Minnesota. Rich Cook is just a hell of a dude. He's just a nice guy up there. And it's like talk about throwing a wrench in his whole uh, operation. Yeah, I don't. I've had talks with some, you know, I got a couple of good buddies I hunt with 
around here. Like we don't, we hunt different properties, but you know, bounce ideas off each other, but we all think it's just a joke, you know, like the way they went about doing it. Cause I've never had a deer on my parents' property where it looked sickly, you know, they all look healthy to me, you know, all, all the does I've shot, bucks I've shot, they're all fine to me. So. Oh, I agree. When I was, when I used to hunt in Minnesota and such, they, I'd never seen anything uh, be affected by CWD. And the only way you're really going to notice that unless you have the brain tested and most people don't yeah. touch the brain or the stems or the, uh, the uh, spinal cord and spinal fluid, everybody that I know cuts around it. Cause like, what's the point of trying to get into that mess? Yeah. I don't know. I should, I shouldn't probably badmouth the whole CWD and DNR thing, but I just think it's dumb. Cause I was at one of my good buddies just actually shot a buck in North Dakota yesterday and he yeah. called me today and he he had to stop at a taxidermist and have him cut the skull plate off because legally you can't transport them into minnesota so that cost him like another 120 bucks just to have them cut the plate off you know yeah where you don't have to worry about that any other place uh, it's just weird how they have these things out there i think it's we we have um well being wisconsin we are the poster child of what not to do when it comes down to it and it's all about uh, really just taking away from the ability to be self-sufficient. Yeah. Now, from hunting here in Wisconsin, the biggest thing that I've learned so far from my uh, three, four years of hunting out here is thermals. Because hunting in these bluffs, Corey can relate to it, is that we'll have these steep inclines. We're, caught, we're talking four or 500 yards straight up. And all depending on where you all set, like I have a – uh, north facing slope that I hunt in the mornings because it's like, it could be almost 11 noon before the thermals will actually change and push that high air up. So you can get there early in the morning, work your way up there and you can set in there for a long period of time. And then I, then I have an, and then I just go across the street to the other side to hunt that. So as the sun comes down and as they're going, and as they're going out to bed, you're already above where that thermal shift will change. And that was something that I, I saw last. That was pretty interesting. Cause like I'm sitting out in my sitting in this spot in the field here. And it's like, I'm watching deer walk by me. And I know there's a buck, there's like a six or set or eight pointer out there I'm hunting at. And it's like, I'm just watching. And it's like, I never felt that, that thermal change. It's like, this is actually pretty cool to actually utilize this to my advantage. Yeah. So what is the hardest part about hunting our prospective states and why? You want me to start? Sure, go for it, Mike. Uh, hardest part about hunting high. Um, I think Justin will agree whenever he answers. Uh, we just we just talked about corn piles. And I'd say that's handed down the hardest part. A lot of people think you, you pour out corn and, you know, these deer come in and they eat off of it and you sit there in a tree stand first night you kill something, which I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it does, but um, a lot of times these deer also use that to their advantage where they'll make sure they come in downwind of that corn pile every time because, you know, they, they know that it's not right. They know that it shouldn't be there. Um, and how a lot of these deer learn is the, the bad thing with these corn piles is we, we have a lot of deer that get killed when they're three years old that, that have the ability to be super good deer, have good genetics, but they get killed off of a corn pile. And a lot of it is <clears throat> these 
these does bring their fawns up on them. They're they're used to them from from being fawns, yearlings, and then it gets to the point that when they're three years old, you know, they they've came in and they've never been shot before or shot at, and then they end up getting smacked. But the the biggest difference, the the hardest part, is also these corn pops because they'll they'll use them to their advantage. For one, they'll come in downwind. So. Are there a lot of deer that get smoked off corn piles that wouldn't normally get killed? Absolutely, 110%. But um, corn piles have altered deer movement here like, like you wouldn't believe because every farm, there's a corn pile on it. And some, some farms have two or three. You know, depending on some of these farmers, you know, they'll let anybody hunt because their crops are getting damaged by the deer or whatever. So it doesn't matter who comes and knocks on their door. They want to go hunt and they're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my, my corn's getting smashed by these deer, kill them all kind of thing. So they, um, these corn piles really, really throw off the deer here, in my opinion. And, and there's a saying around here, if you're not baiting, you're waiting. Because if you, if you're not feeding and your neighbor is, well, I can tell you where the deer are going to be, obviously. Um, but a big thing with the, with these deer, I think when if they can make it to like five or six years old, they understand to stay away from them when it's daylight. Like I think if they get to that five, six years old, seven years old, you're not going to kill them off of it um, because they've had enough bad occurrences on it. Rather, rather that be them coming not coming downwind and realizing, hey, somebody's in there. Um, but that that, in my opinion, is what makes it the hardest and Ohio is, is the ability to bait and the corn piles, which are everywhere. And when I say they're everywhere, it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, the amount of corn piles here. So that's what makes it harder, harder to kill deer in my opinion. But I think if you know deer and know how they work and have the ability to run mock scrapes or know how to hunt deer off scrapes and understand thermals, understand hunting the wind, um, understand hunting bedding areas you can really get in there and have the ability to kill a good five six seven year old deer um, so my answer would be corn piles is what makes it um, the hardest to hunt Ohio but I think if it, that's because these deer are brought up on uh, as yearlings and, and, and fawns but I think of the once those deer hit that five six year old range that's when you really find out who your good bow hunters are um, in Ohio specifically, because, you know, these deer, I'm not saying they don't come in on corn piles, but it seems like once they get to that age, they understand, hey, this isn't right, and we shouldn't come in here whenever it's daylight, and um, I've seen it a ton myself, and uh, again, I'd say my answer is corn piles, and 110%, and I'd say that 99% of the people you talk to from Ohio are going to give you the same answer. Just once you go ahead and continue adding on to it, I've done a tidbit of there up up there in uh, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a big issue here. We, we all knew that from the beginning, but, but also these big deer do get killed off corn piles when they do get that age because they're slaves their stomach when it gets really cold out there. So they do get killed off there sometimes, but also with, with them corn piles, People don't understand thermals, how they work, and how they're getting winded. So we got big hills and big valleys around here. 
in our part of Ohio. So they a lot of people don't play to win, and them deer know to come through where where the wind's going to hit them in the face, and they get winded. So I think people around here need to learn understand that too, and maybe not hunt the corn pile so much. You know, <laughs> you're pretty anti corn pile, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to kill, like try and get on these big deer on the scrapes and get them to the before they get there because I, I feed them because I have to. So, you know, you you gotta feed them. You hate to feed them, but same time, if you don't, your bucks are going somewhere else, your deer are going somewhere else, and it's just the name of the game here. <laughs> I get it. I completely understand that. So, Corey, what's with your experience there in uh, southeastern Minnesota, what do you think is what, uh, some of the difficult things you have going on? Uh, for me, one thing I think is difficult here is they have the shotgun season on the first weekend of November, right smack done, like right in the middle of the rut. And that's the reason if, if you talk to, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and talked to a lot of people and no one talks about Minnesota and like a higher level of the Midwestern list for big bucks. And I think that's why, because they don't get a chance, you know, even down around me, I have two or three really good buddies that'll probably pass up, you know, them three-year-old bucks to get them to four or five, six, but everyone else is going to just shoot them, you know? So I really hate that. I've always, I've seen petitions go around on Facebook to change that and it's never going to happen like they're never going to take it away but that and the whole the cwd thing that's uh not being able to use even general since they change like i can't usually get much for inventory on bucks in the summer or anything even running mock scrapes i don't get as much action so what about uh going after and using a foot plots do you or do you just stick with the uh, the local bean fields and cornfields you got around you? Uh, I put, I plant food plots. I got, uh, I put in some fall plots, but one, one major issue for me is like I said, my parents have a dairy farm. We also have beef cattle and actually where I hunt in the fall is pasture. So like right now there's 30 head of beef cattle out there eating on my uh, rack fuel food plots. You know, they're really liking them and all that so i'm just hoping i went out i go out and check them about once a week and just kind of hope they aren't demolishing them but i i do put food plots in i got a couple spots where there's no cattle and there's one that did really well so hoping that one stays the way it is but i always find that i have like a unique a unique situation because no one else i know or, or hunt with hunts like legit pasture land you know so Completely understandable because especially when you in that driftless area there, because the, for Mike and for Justin there, the driftless area for the Midwest kind of starts right in that that Rochester area, and as you continue moving westward or eastward, that's where you're going to run into. A, that's where it kind of begins. We start seeing these peaks and valleys, especially as you get closer into Rushford and Winona, then Lacrosse, and then it goes pretty much all the way out to the Dells. It's a pretty good range, and then it goes just south from there. And, north and up there but yeah what i used to hunt minnesota yeah hunting the rut when you're trying to go bow hunting it was that was kind of the big big issue because it's like that's the only state that i'm aware of that does not uh give um, the bow hunters an opportunity to hunt the rut from my experience because i because yeah because pretty much yeah it's the only 
The only one I know of, yeah. Because even Wisconsin, I think, doesn't start till the last week of November. Correct, yeah. Usually the nine-day hunt begins over uh, Thanksgiving. Then we have the October youth hunt. That's only weekend, though, so that's not that big a deal. Then everything kind of kind of changes from there then we go back and then we have a uh holiday hunts and we also have a muzzleloader season too as well but for pretty much from november until december 31st there's some form of a gun hunting going on whether it be muzzleloader or shotgun now where Corey and i hunt at was only shotgun only you have to go way up north to go use a rifle but even still up there with the bears the wolves and stuff like that that's i I don't hear very many big bucks being shot out of that area no they're there. There's uh, the same buddy that uh, shot the deer in North Dakota. He actually currently lives in Duluth. And last year he was going after, uh, got end up being some, one of the family, wherever he was hunting, one of the family friends is like son. It was the shirt, first buck he ever shot. I think it was a 160 or 170. Wow. Big dark horn, northern buck. It was a stud. So congrats to that. That's a good first buck. <laughs> but they get big up there sometimes, but yeah so what do you guys you what do you guys do in your perspective seasons to take advantage to either whether it be gun hunting weather uh well since i'm already talking but like for me especially now i have a one and a half year old son so like my whole thing to take advantage of the season is i just wait for cold fronts before you know kind of like we were talking they were talking about earlier you know intrusion i just stay out of my spot until i know it's good kind of thing so i like if it's going to be a good cold front you're going to find me in a tree if i have to hire a babysitter or call in sick i'm gonna be in a tree for sure how about you uh justin oh with gun season stuff i i stay out my areas and just feed i uh i know that like a lot of the when the gun season comes in i know it's going to push a lot of deer on my property Cause I, uh, I don't gun hunt. I try to stay away from it now <laughs> cause I got addicted with, I got the bow, bow bug, I guess you'd say. So yeah, a lot of my big deer get pushed in there that I hunt around that gun season. And with whole, I hunt cold fronts too, but yeah, I try to stay out of there as much as I can. But yeah. How about you, sir? How about you, Mike? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm anti-gun also. I'm I'm not anti-gun in the sense that I'm pro-gun. I love guns, but when it comes to killing deer, I'm uh, I'm a bow guy. Um, I, I lose good deer every year to gun hunters, and uh, nothing against it, as long as everybody's obviously abiding by their state laws. But I think it means a little bit more whenever you smack one with your bow versus uh, reaching out there and poking one at 200 yards with a gun so I uh mine's, mine's the same way the main four of my hunts 181 acres and um, I have it to myself and there is a lot of pressure that goes on whenever when when gun season kicks in on on the neighboring property so same thing I have a lot of deer that get pushed into me and uh, they just see it as, as a safe haven more or less safe zone um, there's never any guns that are cracking or going off in there so a lot of these deer that have that live in that area or you know have been there for you know three four five years they understand if when the guns start cracking they can come over to the farm that i'm on and they're not gonna have anybody shooting at them per se so 
again, that's something I do is um, when gun season rolls around, I'm in the tree with, with my bow and uh, just try to keep things as safe for, for the deer where they feel as safe as they, they can feel. So, um, again, I just stay out of there. When gun season rolls around, I do my thing and keep the pressure off my uh, off my farm. And a lot of times that'll push deer on it. And they do stay there uh, after gun season, obviously, uh, just because they feel safer. Good to know. So just to wrap things up here, then what do you guys all use for releases trigger or thumb release or back tension? I use trigger. Justin. I use, uh, I use thumb release. Corey. I actually just switched back to trigger. I had a thumb release and, uh, it failed and I punched myself in the face three times. So then I, I threw, I threw it under the woods and I just went back to, I think it's a true. I don't know. I just went back to a trigger release. I'm like, no. So it since me off. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, I also use thumb release as well. So Mike and Corey, since you guys both use triggers, what are some of the advantages of using the trigger? I'll tell oh, you like what for me. Well, Oh. Go ahead, Corey. You go. Well, like for me, like my, my thumb release, it failed. Like it wasn't me hitting the release to start off with. Like it wasn't my, I shot a thumb release for like two years. And after that, I noticed, I honestly noticed when I switched that I wasn't shooting as well. So I switched back to the trigger thing. And I don't know if it's just, I got it set up like you're supposed to, you know, where you you just squeeze through kind of deal. I don't know if it's just, I couldn't adjust after, you know, I've shot, I shot trigger release for over 10 years before I switched the thumb and I just couldn't make the adjustment, but I can shoot either or, but I just prefer the trigger now that I went back to it. Definitely. How about but, you, Mike? Honestly, it's the only thing I've ever used ever since, um, I'm 32 now and, um, I didn't get big into bow hunting until honestly, probably I, I bow hunted in high school, but once I graduated high school was when I actually got big into it and it's all I've ever used. So I, I, um, it's obviously something I feel comfortable with and I've just, I've just never changed. It's, I'm, I'm comfortable with shooting a trigger and I feel that I shoot well enough to get it done and put deer on the ground. So I've, I've never experimented with, with other releases. Nice. This is fun because we actually have a 50, 50 crowd here. So Justin, yeah. so why do you like the thumb? Oh, well, I switched from actually a thumb this year because well from a trigger uh this year and it's made a night and day difference with me he was shooting i had that i guess you call it target panic is what it was called because i don't know i just felt like i was punching the trigger i was just punching it and i started with the uh what is that really it's called the knock to it my knock on yes oh so yeah I, I started shooting that a little bit and it honestly i love that that release and then i went to just straight thumb and i just been shooting great with it and, I got I you. Know. Just something that's just something about with being in my hand too. I just, I don't know. It's more comfortable for me. That makes sense. See, when mm -hmm. I first started shooting archery, I started with the first few months I was using a, uh, a trigger release, but just because mm -hmm. it was new. I wanted that security with it, but what got me was how it fit around my wrist and yeah. it just wasn't comfortable. It didn't feel natural for me. So when I switched to using a thumb release, I just, it was just a, a natural fit because I was, able to consistently anchor 
I was able to come into my peep consistently. It was very comfortable, a lot of control for it. And then now I've just this year alone, I bought three new thumb releases. Otherwise I've been using a true fire edge for so long, but then Dudley came out with a video about how you should use a thumb release. And the way it works is that you just simply take your thumb, you drape it over the top of it and you, and as you pull back, it should pull back with you. And then this yeah. way, then when, so, so what I do is I'll anchor it, get into position and then I get my, bring my thumb over the top of it and then I just pull. And it's so okay. it's, it's, it, that's just the way he made it sound. So then it's like, well, I got this new hotshot release, went in there, manipulated the sensitivity with it. So it's like, you can blow on it just sets off I'm talking like a pound of pressure. It will go off. And that's what I do yeah. now. I just bring it up. Once I get my, once I get anchored bubbles leveled out, just draw, continue pulling back and just let it go. Cause you don't even, have to, yeah. you don't have to even actually have to pull it back, which is uh, something that kind of defeats the purpose of a back tension. But it's like, if you prefer the back tension, go for it. Mm. Then it was yeah. silverback from, uh, from Dudley is the, uh, uh, their, their back tension release where you just keep pulling and pulling and, until it goes off from there. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one I have now. Yeah. Yeah. The silverback. Yeah. I couldn't remember what it's called, but yeah, definitely. So <laughs> yeah, I love that race. Mike proposed a good question. How has ch uh, hunting changed in your area in the last 10 years? So, Mike, do you want to start this conversation off? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you asked about some some questions that you feel we could be insightful about and um, different technical questions. And that was one that came to my mind. Um, like I said, I didn't start bow hunting until uh, I started like when I was in high school, but I didn't get real serious about it until after I'd, I'd graduated. So I was around 20 years old. <clears throat> um, I think the big thing that's that's changed over the last 20 years or last 10 years, sorry, is uh, I think bow hunting, specifically in our area, is, is very social media driven. Um, there was a day where, you know, every good four year old that walked in to the corn pile, as we've mentioned, because everybody baits. Um, there was a day that every good four year old that came in that was, say, 140 inches. He got smoked, uh, but but now, you know, everybody wants to take a picture of themselves holding a nice buck so they can put it on Instagram or put it on Facebook, and I think that's been a, a big part of how things have changed around here. I mean, obviously, we still have our own issues in terms of baiting, and everybody's everybody's got a corn pile, and there's a lot of people that kill deer off corn piles that um, they're not bow hunters, but they think they are kind of thing. Um I always, I've said if, if you take corn away for a year, you'll find out who the real bow hunters are around here. Um, but it, it's it's too much of a moneymaker kind of thing. But um, the big thing that's changed in, in the past 10 years, in my opinion, is I think social media has made bow hunting better in the fact that 10 years ago, everybody wanted just to be able to take a picture with a, with a buck and say, hey, look, look what I killed. Yeah, I shot 120 inch deer. Hey, I killed a buck. It didn't matter how big it was, but I think now um, it's the point where I think deer are bigger, in my opinion, now than they were 10 years ago. And I take that in a sense of, you know, as Corey had said, there's no, you can't do minerals or, or baiting in, in Minnesota. I think the amount of people that put mineral out, um, especially in Ohio, in the area that I'm from, 
it does wonders for the deer herd. It, it, it just does. I mean, you think about it, there's mineral sites on every farm and these does are coming in whenever prior to having their fawns uh, through the lactation process and they're, um, they're hitting these mineral sites up and it's, it's not doing anything but benefiting these deer. I mean, it's just, that's the fact of the matter. And I, I think, I think now versus 10 years ago, you have two, three, four times as good of a chance to run into a, a true giant in the woods than you did 10 years ago. And I think a lot of that is social media driven. And now nobody wants to take a picture holding a 120 inch deer and saying, Hey, look, I killed a 120 inch three-year-old. Now it's, now it's a competition. You got to be better than your buddy. You got to be better than the guy that's hunting down the road. You know, if the guy down the road shoots a 150 inch deer, um, you got to shoot 160 inch deer because he got 110 likes on his picture on Facebook. But if I shoot a 160, I might get 111. So I think that's a big thing that's changed over the last 10 years is social media has impacted deer hunting, specifically bow hunting in such a manner that, you know, now people are letting these 120s and 130s walk because they'd rather kill a 150 or 160. That way they can get more likes on Facebook, more hits on Instagram and, and they'll sleep better at night. It's my opinion on what's changed the most in the last 10 years. That is a good point of view right there. So Justin, how about yourself, sir? 10 years ago, I was 14 years old. So <laughs> I just got my compound and I, sh I shot my first doe with a bow. So <laughs> in the last 10 years, how it's changed though, if I can really think about it is honestly deer drives. I remember when I was just young and uh, they used to call us a dirty 30. So we had 30 guys out there driving deer. <laughs> That's kind of, I mean, it's not slacked down in a sense. We see more people gun hunting and driving and probably ever this year, which is kind of weird, but <laughs> our, I know our family group's getting smaller. Everyone's getting smaller with just driving. And cause I know around my farm, everyone's, it used to be in the back in the day, you just come over and monk one, you shoot them all because they're, they're crop damage and all that. So I think, I think the deer drives definitely has went down in the numbers for sure around here. How about you, Corey? Uh, in the last 10 years for Minnesota, man, they changed the rules around here a lot. Like that's what I was thinking when I, when I first started bow hunting, I'm about the same as Mike. I started bow hunting like right out of high school, kind of got into it and you could shoot five bucks total. So either five does or four, four does and one buck, but then they changed that every year since I started. And at one point it was down to only two deer. And then the one thing that changed, they did have a point restriction for two years. And I wish they would have kept that. It was a four point side restriction. They only had that for two years. They took it away. And then now we have CWD and it's pretty much uh, the last three years, it was $2 and 50 cents for a bonus tag. And you can buy as many as you wanted. So come shoot all the deer kind of thing, but which kind of hurt. I used to have, I mean, I still at my parents' property and the properties I hunt, just because I can go buy 20 doe tags doesn't mean I'm going to shoot 20 does. You know, I kind of manage it what I think's right, but that's changed a lot. Like our deer herd has changed from it. Like I used to go go hunt and see 10, 15 does a night come out on an alfalfa field. Now 
if I see four or five, that was a pretty good night, you know, kind of thing. But that's one thing since I started bow hunting, the rules in Minnesota and laws and all that have changed a lot. But that's about it for that. Nice. So that was a pretty uh, great question to ask, Mike, because I actually, this is, this should be my 10th year or next year will be my 10th year, one of the two, if, since I've started uh, bow hunting and such. And when I first started uh, here 10 years ago in Minnesota, yeah, I, where I hunted over in the area, I was able to get five tags. Then we hit, then we had the, the cold winter of 2013 that was like in Rochester to give people a point of reference, 99 days below zero. And you, you go up to Minneapolis, it was like 119 days below zero wiped out the herd horribly, just destroyed it everywhere. Then, then we, then we come back into 2015 still two, And then now it's been now with the, the, with the um, CWD and such like that in Minnesota, it's like, it's just run ramp now hunting over here in Wisconsin, like, this is, uh, they've been really, it's, it's, it's much more geared towards the bow hunter. And what I've really seen and really appreciate is the bow technology nowadays. It's like a, you can buy a bow in the last 10 years and you're splitting hairs between everything. Cause they're, they're very, very fine tuned. Unless you get into, into the older like bear and diamond and stuff like that. The ones that are a little bit lower end, but you get into the Matthews and the elites and, and Athens and you're splitting hairs between them. Like I, that's a 2017 bow and I just keep on upgrading the string, the strings on it. And it's, and it still shoots to over, 280 from a string setup and some of that nowadays if you get 280 consistently you're, you're that's a that's a good bow and most of the ibos have gone much past than 350 now the thing is like there's been a real big focus on less movement like advanced outdoor advancing technology uh they he came up with a release holder for thumb releases now so this way it's instead of having in your pockets because as we get as the winter progresses it gets colder and colder well he figured out a way sitting in ohio oddly enough hunting with uh, chad mendez is that he figured out that hey like why don't i put my thumb release on my bow so this way that it's not in any of my pockets because like i could relate to it as a bow hunter because there's a lot of them then you also had new technologies about carrying your bow to your spot uh, to your spot like you got the bow hitch from amando that he came up with his uh, uh two years ago where it hooks to your vinyl pack or your harness and it hits right there in your whatever your side you hold your bow with and if you do it right you can actually set yourself up where you can leave it knocked in and is ready to rock and roll but as you're walking you can move forward and then bow spider came with his stuff here a few years further back so technology mm-hmm. overall has just been very nice for the kids to get into it and really go from there because you can get now get a bow for like i bought my daughter a, a bow this year and we we're probably cons- we're probably think we'll probably get at least four or five years out of it to, as she, as she grows through everything, goes through her her uh, growth spurts and such. Because right now it's a ten pound draw and it maxes seventy pounds, which is a heck of a range. And then once she becomes more and more serious about that, and she starts making her own money, well then we'll hey we can take her out in different places to look at different bows. Yeah. So folks, yeah, man, crazy. let's go right ahead, course. Sorry about that. Oh, this week. Your first bow that everyone else with, but uh, when I for the first year I bow hunted, I had a hand like like uh, bear archery compound bow that was as tall as I was. You know, I can't remember the name of it, but like you said, the advancement in these bows is crazy. Definitely, yeah. Because for an example, like that's an Impulse Thirty One from Elite. That bow right now is three hundred bucks. IBO is. 340 off of it but still 300 is a great way to get somebody into archery yeah. just 
we all we all we can all, all of us here speaking from experience is that we won't buy I won't buy a, a used bow unless I know how old that bow string is because if I'm buying that bow and that that string is like two three years old well that's another 175 dollars on top of that bow purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts before we call tonight, folks? Hey, I got I got one final thought. We we give TJ a hard time on our. Uh... <laughs> on our team uh he uh he he gets it on us he dishes it out so we give it back to him but uh i, I tell you what um obviously tj's my cousin so we grew up together and uh obviously known him known him my whole life um tj if you're listening to this uh you're one of the most dedicated people i know but he's hunting, he's hunting Delaware right now. He randomly sent us a message said he's going he is going hunting Delaware. So um, and he sent us a picture of a buck on Delaware public land. That's, that's uh, actually a pretty good deer. So um, although we give him a hard time, TJ, if you're listening, good luck. We call him the Delaware Deacon. <laughs> <laughs> Just shoot straight, TJ. That's always. <laughs> we don't know what he's gonna hit but he's gonna hit something that's awesome well all right guys thank you for being on this podcast Mm -hmm. this is our first tech talk with Appalachian Chase so tune in next week for another episode and we'll be talking about other topics so please feel free to drop comments or chats in the Facebook live and I will gladly answer them from there but uh, I want to say thank you to you four gentlemen three gentlemen for coming on and it was fun yeah. Thanks for having me. Good time. Thanks, Legend.